Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This is um, my second lesson on timing is everything. On Wednesday night was the first lesson. If you didn't hear that, you might want to go back and pick it up and look it over. But I'll just give you a quick review. We started with the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. And it reveals to us a blessed truth. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under, the, under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And as I said last Wednesday, who would have thought that that would, have be, that would be a verse that would apply to us today? A time to embrace... And now there's a time not to embrace. And it seems kind of strange not to be able to give somebody a hug at this time. But we're living in a different time right now. And so that's the, uh, the gist of the message. Timing is everything. And so we began talking about a recipe for success. For us to succeed, we need to be at the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right heart. And I use my life as an example of that at the right place where God wanted me to be at the right time so that why we could do the right thing with the right heart and had I not been where God wanted me to be at the time that he wanted me to be there I may not be your pastor someone else could be here and God's work would still go on but I just would not be where God wanted me to be and do what God want me to do then we talked about end time events and we know that we're living in the time of the Gentiles right now and that time is about to conclude with the rapture of the church the rapture of the church will take place. There'll be a seven-year tribulation period, the millennial reign of Christ, which is a thousand years, at the end of which, of course, Satan's bound into the abyss for a thousand years during that particular time. Then he's loose for a season to tempt people once again on this earth. Uh, and then, of course, he's thrown to the lake of fire. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. So the, all these things are laid out in the scriptures in a timeline. Of course, no one knows the time when Jesus is going to come in the rapture of the church, but heaven knows the father knows we don't know that right now but we know that we're near that but the time of the gentiles is about to end and the time's going to go back to the jewish community next we talked about timing in jesus and that jesus came at the right time we're told in the fullness of time god sent forth his son born of a woman born of a virgin we know that that's galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and then we heard Jesus during his lifetime saying things like, my time has not come yet. Now the time has come and the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to the enemy and be crucified. So Jesus was well aware of the time that he was living in and the time as far as his life was concerned. We talked about Satan himself and his demon spirits understand time. Recall the story of Jesus being tempted 
uh, we're told that once he was defeated, the devil was defeated, that the devil left him looking for a more opportune time to come back and do what? Tempt him once again. So in other words, he would observe his life. He would see what's going on, see where he's at. This is the best time to attack that person. And that's true with all of us. The enemy knows whether or not we're in the word of God, strong in the things of God, or weak in the things of God. And so things can be set up at a certain time, you know, to be attacked. And remember the demons that were cast out to go into the swine? What did they say to Jesus? Have you come to torment us before the time? They know that there's a timetable. They know there's a time that they're going to be tortured. But they didn't think the time was then. But they were aware of time. When it comes to warfare, whether it's spiritual warfare or natural warfare, we talked about the days of Jehoshaphat. And they were told by the prophet, anointed by the Spirit of God, go tomorrow morning and be here, and that's where you're going to attack the enemy. Notice the time he told them to go. Had they gone that evening, it would not have worked. Had they gone that next afternoon, it would not have worked. They told him exactly what time to be there and what to do. And as a result, of course, they had victory. So timing is important even when it comes to spiritual warfare or natural warfare. Then we talked about time when it comes to decision making. The right action, I'm sorry, the wrong action at the wrong time can be disastrous for an individual or for a group of people. Then we talked about the right action at the wrong time that can cause resistance and people will stand against it or resist change, for example. It may not be the right time to change. Then let's say the wrong action at the right time can lead to a mistake. I made a mistake. It was the right action, but it was the wrong time that I did such a thing. And then, of course, we talked about the right action at the right time produces success and great results, which we saw in the time of Jehoshaphat. The right action at the right time produced a victory in the lives of the people. Well, to reopen our church, this is what I'm talking about. One size does not fit all. Smaller churches that I talked to, another individual, for example, up in Ohio, and he said that their church was open. I said, it's open. They said, yeah, everybody's here and we're having worship services. And I said, you are? He said, yes. I said, well, how many are in the church? Ten. There were ten people in the church. Obviously, they had social distancing. It didn't matter whatsoever. They followed the protocol, but that's all they had as far as their membership was concerned. So a small church isn't going to have an, a, a big of a problem as a church, let's say, our size. Think about it. Let's just say that we're able to have 80 to 100 people to attend a church service. The question is, what 80 or 100 people do you come? Do you set up a schedule and say you can come, you can't come? Do you say we're going to have three services on a Sunday or whatever? So we're kicking this around. We want to do what is proper and what is right. The right action at the right time to reopen our church in such a way so as to honor God and, of course, to ensure the safety and well-being of all of our church members, all of the guests that might come in, and, of course, in our community, the people that are living within our community. And we want to honor God in such a way so as to be able to be a shining light to the people that are here around us in this community. So we are looking things over. We're monitoring things every single day. We want to make sure that we do the right thing at the right time so we can have success and, praise God, get together once again and just begin to worship God as we always did before. Now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, because I've been asked this question many times, is COVID-19 a sign of the end times? 
and people are for some reason thinking that everything that comes uh, this way, a catastrophic event or whatever, is that indicative of this is the last thing. We're going to leave this planet or Jesus is going to come or the world's coming to an end. I have to say I chuckle all the times I hear people saying, does this mean the world's coming to an end? The world's not going to come to an end. There's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Christ. A thousand years. You and I won't be around here for a thousand years. We may come back and, and uh, serve him and, and basically rule with him upon the earth. But remember, it's a new heavens and a new earth. This earth is going to be renovated as of by fire. So the world is not going to come to an end ever. But if you're talking about prophetic events that have occurred, and is Jesus going to come soon? That we can discuss and talk about. But the short answer is this. COVID-19, no, is not a sign of the end times. It can be a taste, but it's not in particular a sign that Jesus is coming. And we'll explain it. Look at Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said unto them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times. And so they, were, they were always looking for a sign. They wanted a sign that he was from heaven. They wanted a sign that he was the Messiah and so on and so forth. To be honest with you, if they couldn't get the sign when he raised up Lazarus from the dead, then there's something seriously wrong with these people. But anyhow, we're talking about a sign. Is this COVID-19 a sign of the end times? Well, Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 3, gives us a little bit of an explanation of what Jesus referred to as signs. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is the Mount Olivet Discourse, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, and diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. What's important to know that these events, and if you read on through the rest of that chapter, there's more things that he said about the sign of his second coming. These events he's talking about, or these signs he's talking about, are signs that refer to his second coming when he comes again in the clouds of glory to the earth to deliver Israel from her enemies. Well, this is not talking about the rapture of the church. And sometimes this is what happens. People get confused about the second coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church has no signs. The rapture of the church has no warnings. All we can know is that we're living at the end of the time of the Gentiles and the end of the time of the Gentiles, it will end with the rapture. So you could say it's a signless event that will take place. It's imminent. Imminent means it's hanging over us and can happen at any moment in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not going to be something like COVID-19 that's going to say, well, now we know that he's coming. No, there are signs that we've been given in scripture. There are prophetic events that we are told that would take place. And when they were all fulfilled... The insertion of the time of the Gentiles would take place. And at the end of the time of the Gentiles, 
that's when the rapture will take place. Now these events he's talking about, deception that will take place, false prophets, false Christ, and so on and so forth, pestilences will take place. But he's talking about the seven-year tribulation period with regard to those particular signs. And so in actuality, the church will be out of here before all those things take place. But these are the prophetic events that we've been told about in Scripture that dictate to us that we are living in the time of the Gentiles and that time is getting to the point to where it's going to end and we're going to be raptured out of here. But let's look at some of the different events fulfilled in Scripture already that reveal to us the fact that we are living in a time right now that the rapture can take place at any moment. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 is the first sign or prophetic event we could say given to us to help us better understand the time of the seasons. In other words, what time we're living in. But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Notice he's talking about two things. Knowledge being increased and travel being increased. So it's, you could say it's communication and also transportation. So we go back to the very beginning and we let's look at Adam. Adam walked upon the earth. Well, we started out walking. Then, of course, we graduated to the place where we rode a horse. And from the horse, we got a chariot. And from the chariot, we got a bicycle. From the bicycle, we got a car. From the car and motorcycle, we went from there and we got a, a boat. We had an airplane. Uh, a, let's say a rocket ship. In the space age that we're living in right now. But the thing to remember is that these things didn't happen, let's say, over all this whole period of time. It was the 1800s that these things began to develop. So when Daniel's talking about at the end of the age, these things are going to happen so rapidly. We're going to have transportation like we've never had it before. And you know, we think that just because we get on a spaceship, we're talking about traveling to Mars and traveling to the moon and people living up there. Who I don't know why anybody would want to live on the moon or Mars, to be honest with you. But we think that we have some knowledge and understanding by our measures. But guess what? When Philip uh, got done preaching to the eunuch, the Bible says he was translocated to another place. Like that in a heartbeat. When Jesus was on a boat in water, uh, out there on the ship, when they had a storm, he got on the ship with Peter and said, peace be still, when it, they went right to the shore. In other words, translocation took place. Imagine that. If you want to be in California, you just go California and boom, just like that, you're there. We don't know anything, to be honest with you, when it comes to transportation. We think we do. But compared to God's knowledge and revelation, we know nothing. And then when it comes to communication, of course, the number one way to communicate is to talk to somebody. Then we talk about smoke signals that took place. Then we talk about we move from there to telegraph, telephone. I won't say telewoman. But then we go from there to radio, television, email, texting, Twitter, Roku, um, Instagram, uh, all these, Facebook, all these things that we use right now. Uh, and once again, you know, we think this is amazing that we've got all these devices and all these things. But these things did not develop until the 1800s and then beyond that. So from Adam to the 1800s, there wasn't much advancement in any of these things. But from the 1800s, to the time we're living in right now, knowledge has increased. So we know we're living in the end of the age, 
because knowledge has increased and men are traveling to and fro. Number two, the birth of nuclear warfare. Look at Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 12. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall, will smite all the people that I have fought against, that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes shall consume away in their holes. And their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And many uh, believe that this is talking about nuclear warfare. When you see a person standing there. And radioactivity absolutely consumes their being. So we know we're living in a time right now where that is a possibility. Nuclear warfare without question is a possibility. Number three, the rebirth of Israel as a nation. <clears throat> we just celebrated, of course, Israel just celebrated 72 years of becoming a nation once again on May 14th of this year. But May 14th, 1948, is when they became a nation. Look at Isaiah 66 and verse 8. Look at what it says. They were not a nation for many, 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 many years at all. No nation. But all of a sudden, after a war that took place, what happens is this. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? We know that's not true. Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. And that's talking about Israel becoming a nation, May 14th, 1948, 72 years ago this past Thursday. And that's a sign. We know that that was going to have to happen. Until it happened, you could prophesy all you want about who's the Messiah, who's a Antichrist or whoever. It was, really wasn't that relevant. But now that we're living on this side of them becoming a nation once again, we know we're living in the end times. So this, we're not talking about a virus. We're talking about a fact. Number three. Uh, or number four, rather. Regathering the Jews into Jerusalem or to Israel. Look at Jeremiah 23. <clears throat> this is another sign. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth, which brought up the land, uh, brought up, <clears throat> brought up, and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Then look in the book of Isaiah, and chapter six, uh, 43, verses 5 and 6. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west, I will say to the north, give up. To the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Right now, Israel is experiencing what is called the Aliyah. We know they're coming in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. From every direction round about from where they were scattered when, of course, they were dispersed after A.D. 70. And uh, the temple was destroyed and so on. You know that story. And they're in all four corners of the earth. But right now at this time, they're merging back. They're migrating back to Israel from the north, south, east, and west, exactly as it was prophesied. So we have another event, a prophetic event, that's been fulfilled, being fulfilled right now. And we know that that's a mark of the end times or the end of the age. Then we look at the scoffer sign. In Second Peter chapter 3, 
And look what it says in these first few verses. The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before the uh, holy prophets and of the commandment of us, of the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, the scoffers are scoffing, and they've been scoffing for a long period of time. Even after the resurrection of our Lord, many even today saying, well, when's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? And Peter goes on to say that they're unaware of the fact that, look, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. And what it is, is that he is compassionately waiting for people to come and make a decision for Christ. And that's why it's been delayed for these 2,000 years. We are living in the time of the Gentiles. It's also the time of harvest, and I'll explain that in just a moment. But that's another sign that's being fulfilled. Then we've got Solomon's third temple and this is too much to get involved with or too much to get into this morning but I did a teaching on this some time ago you could look it up and you can be informed but in 2010 10 years ago a replica blueprint was being drawn up of the third temple Solomon's first temple was destroyed the second temple was destroyed and now we're talking about a blueprint that's been drawn up a replica of the third temple that is in the process of coming together. They've already got some parts of it in place. They've got the menorah already made. They've got uh, the cornerstones already made. There's all kinds of clothing that they used to wear. The high priest clothing that's been made. They are training priests to stand in the uh, priest's office once again. To offer sacrifices. We've never been hearing things about the red heifer until lately. Which is absolutely necessary for the high priest to do his ministry. Right now at this particular time you can go to the temple institute. And can find out all the details about this. But things have come together. They're coming in place for the rebuilding of Solomon's third temple. And that was prophetic. That was going to take place. Well then finally our number seven is God's seven-day redemptive plan for man. If you started from Sunday and you went all the way through Saturday, seven days, seven feast days, and really it lays out God's plan for the salvation of man. It starts with the Passover. Let's just say Sunday with the Passover and go all the way through. The Passover, Jesus died. He was crucified. We know that. Then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we know that Jesus was buried the next day after, uh, after dying on the cross for us, buried uh, unleavened bread and then we have the first fruits the next day after that the third day and that was when he was raised up from the dead on the third day and then of course we had the day of Pentecost which is the end of the month here May 31st I believe it is is uh, the day of Pentecost and that's when Jesus sent the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost in the upper room and so we see those four events taking place those four feast days taking the blood taking a part in the beginning which is called the uh, spring feasts or feast days already fulfilled already happened that was a time when the time of the Jew Jews was turned off and the time of the Gentiles was turned on and we've been living in this time between the spring feasts and the fall feasts for 2,000 years it's called the time of harvest we're reaping the harvest whether you're a Jew or a Gentile you're coming to Christ during this particular time to be born again, washed in the blood, and become a son or a daughter of the Most High God. 
So we are on the harvest field right now. That's why we proclaim Jesus to the world. We're reaching out to the world through every means we possibly can to let people know we're living in the last times. The clock is about to shift. It's going to be turned off to the time of the Gentiles and turned on to the time of the Jews. And God will once again begin de dealing with the Jews as he did before the time of the Gentiles. But that's going to happen after the next feast takes place. It's called the Feast of Trumpets. Trumpets, this is when the high priest himself blows the shofar and gets everybody off the harvest field to come into the temple. And we know that to be the time in the fall when that first feast, the first fall feast, which would be the um, fifth feast, will take place, the Feast of Trumpets. And that's when Christ the Lord, we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is going to come in the clouds of glory with the sound of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the dead, uh, the grave's going to open, the dead are going to rise, we that are alive are going to be changed and caught up out of here and we're going to meet our family members and friends on the other side in glory and forever be with the Lord. But Feast of Trumpets is the next event to take place after the rapture of the church and what, after the rapture of the church and then the next two, the last two. The atonement. The atonement is when the blood, of course, was taken in by the high priest to the holiest place of all upon the earth. You can go to the temple and you can see all the outlaying of the temple. And only in the holiest place of all could the high priest go there once a year to offer up blood. Had to be the right kind of blood to offer for the sins of, of Israel for a year. That was only a type and a shadow of what needed to be done. Jesus took his blood to the high court of heaven for us. Jesus obtained eternal redemption for us. And just as the high priest of old did here on the earth, he did in glory for us. Now, why is that atonement there then if that was something fulfilled already in the spring? And here's why. Remember, we talked about in the first part, he's dealing with the Jews. In the last part, he's dealing with the Jews. The Gentiles are in the middle and that's the harvest time. So when that trumpet sounds and the church is out of here, it goes back to Jewish time. And guess what? The Jews haven't accepted. The Orthodox Jew hasn't accepted the blood of Jesus Christ for their salvation. They haven't accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah. So as far as atonement is concerned, as far as we're concerned, Messianic Jews, as well as Gentiles that are born again, have accepted the atoning sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. But the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, hasn't. They haven't. So that will take place on, when he comes in the second coming, they're going to see him. Remember, Israel is about to be destroyed by all, all the armies that's surrounding them. It's without question their demise and doom. But once again, who comes through? Jesus will be coming, riding on a white horse, with all the saints with him, all the heavenly hosts with him. And when he comes at Armageddon, he's going to deliver Israel from all the enemies. That's when they will lift up their eyes and they will see Jesus as the Messiah and Lord of all and they will accept his blood as the atoning sacrifice for their sins. They haven't done that yet. Messianic Jews have, but Orthodox Jews haven't. And then after that concludes, Satan is bound for a thousand years and thank God Jesus reigns as the Prince of Peace upon the earth for a thousand years and that's called Feast of Tabernacles, the last day, which would be the Sabbath day, the Saturday, one day, 1,000 years. 1,000 years as a day, a day is 1,000 years in the sight of the Lord. So on that day, tabernacles takes place. God's on earth with man for 1,000 years. Of course, it's a wonderful time of peace upon the planet. Until what? 
Satan's loose for a time. See, there's going to come a time that he's loosed once again. And you might be wondering why. He's going to be loose for a time. Why? Because all those people on the earth were not exposed to him. And they might make a decision to follow him as well. And so he's allowed to be released for a specific time to tempt other people to follow him. And you know what? Sad to say, probably some will. But when that ends, he's going to be judged, cast into a lake of fire throughout eternity. And anyone that's followed him will follow him right into the lake of fire throughout eternity. So, once again, we see this God's seven-day redemptive plan revealed for, to us. That's why we know we are living in the time of the Gentiles at the last time, only awaiting for something that's imminent. And it, imminent means hanging over your head, unannounced, no warning, just boom. And we showed the video some time ago. We probably showed it a couple times when a man is standing there with his Bible in his hand and he's preaching to a group of people that's a room full of people. And he says, you know, Jesus could come at any, and he goes to say time. And when he does that, boom, like thunder, everybody's gone except for a few folks that are left there. And now they're like panicking because they were left behind. That's going to happen. It's imminent. It's hanging over us. It should impact our lives in such a way that daily we choose to keep our eyes up looking for the appearing of our Lord and Savior. Amen. So all these things have already come to pass and that's why we know we're living in the last times. So remember, we're not talking about COVID-19 being a sign. We're talking about the time that we're living in, the events that have occurred that dictate to us like we're looking at the weather and we know it's going to be rainy tomorrow or whatever because we can see it. We can see it. We're living in the last times. Now, so what time is it for us? Number one, it's a time to be ready. Every time I'm asked to teach, upon, uh, teach about end times and revelation and all that, people want to know. And once again, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to know everything about revelation. And many people that wait out there in the waters of revelation usually drown. But anyhow, number one thing about end times, be ready. Nothing is more important than to be ready. Being ready means that you've accepted Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And I'll tell you what right now, anyone that's ever gone before us right now that are in the grandstands of heaven and also that are suffering right now in that prison house of suffering called hell or Hades, whatever you want to call it, would agree with me this morning, be ready. Why? Because you live only a certain amount of time on this earth and one day you'll be ushered into eternity. And where you spend that eternity will be eternal glory or eternal suffering. And that's the bottom line. Nothing is more important than being ready. My dad was big on revelation. My dad scared me into the kingdom of God. He came. He had a captive audience. I was lying on a bed. I was told by the doctors, don't do any kind of labor, any kind of work, whatever. They thought I had some kind of pneumonia, some thought tuberculosis, and the list went on and on. So I was confined. He would come into my bedroom and visit with me and tell me about revelation, about the rapture, about being left behind, about all the horrors of the book of Revelation, about all the seals and all the bowls that are going to be opened, etc., etc., etc. And so finally it hit me. I realized that what he was telling me was true. It was all biblical. And of course, he wrote me out a sinner's prayer. And I said the prayer and I gave my heart to Jesus. 
Nothing is more important than being ready. We're all going to be ushered out of this realm into an eternal realm. It's never ending. Eternal suffering, eternal bliss. The choice is ours. And so be ready. Accept Christ as your Savior and Lord and make sure you're ready. Now, even with him, as much as he taught on this subject and everything, you know what? He's in glory right now. And I thank God for that. But really, did he really have it all together on Revelation? I don't think anybody really knows in full depth exactly what's going to take place during that time and tribulation period and so on. But anyhow, what are the two words? Be ready. Number two, occupy. Look at Luke's gospel, 19, verse 13. Jesus said, he called his ten, his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. So we're to be ready, accepting him as our Savior and Lord. And we're to occupy, stay focused, stay busy, stay committed, stay determined. Carry out the purpose that God has for your life. While you're looking for the rapture to occur, this is to be an active thing. He says, we need to look up and realize the grace of God teaches us that denying worldly lust and ungodliness, we're to look up for he's coming soon. Always be aware of that fact. Keep that in the forefront of your mind. He could come in any moment. I mean, I realize there are those of, let's say, in Pentecostal circles like holiness, Pentecostal holiness and all that. They carried it to an extreme. You couldn't have a picture. You couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't wear a dress. You had to wear so on and so forth. And so why were they so extreme? Because they were concerned about where they would spend their eternity. And if it meant having a picture of, say, a loved one being an image that I would look at and maybe an idol that I would worship, they would rather burn it and throw it away. Many went to the extreme of, you don't even sit in a movie theater. You don't even go to a ball game. You, don't, you certainly shouldn't be a cheerleader or anything of that nature. And you might think today that that's kind of far-fetched or an extreme thing. But the point was, even if it was extreme, it was because they understood that eternity is a long, long time. And to spend it in a lake of fire is not something they desired. And since that time, of course, we understand that uh, things have changed and we realize that it was an extreme teaching and all that. But let's not go too far to the other side. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. And we're told to walk down the straight and narrow and don't get to the ditch on this side or that side. Extreme conservativeness or lasciviousness. Get out of the ditches. Stay in the middle and walk with God. Three, and that brings us to this third point. What time is it for us? It's time to be ready. It's time to occupy. It's time to stay pure. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Beginning at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Notice the word appear. When he appears, we want to be like him. Every man that hath this hope, what does he do? In him purifies himself even as he is pure how this should speak volumes to our lives i'm looking for his appearing you're looking for his appearing and what's the enemy want to do distract us and get our eyes on something else but he said look 
He's coming for a church without spot, without wrinkle. So we're to keep our eyes on him and stay pure and holy and live lives the way he wants us to live. Can we be perfect? Absolutely not. Will we make mistakes? We know that we all will. But thank God for the provision of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin, all unrighteousness, and restores our fellowship with our Father. So we thank God. He knows our frame. He knows we'll miss the mark, which is why he provides mercy and grace. Mercy, not giving us what we deserve. Grace, giving us what we don't deserve. A divine enablement and empowerment to rise up above the challenges and temptations we face in this life, that we all face in this life, and nobody is exempt from it. So we're to occupy, stay pure, and then also number four I have listed for us is what time is it? It's a time to understand some things, maybe like we've never understood them before. Look at James 4 and verse 14. Look at what it says. The brevity of life. Let's understand truly the brevity of life. For some reason, we think in the back of our minds, we're going to be here forever. I think about my tenure here at the church over 40 years, which is like amazing to me even to say something like that. But it's been 40 years. I know it's not going to be another 40 more. I'm going to be around here in 40 more years. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's but a vapor that appears for a little while, or for a time, then vanisheth away. Notice the word time there. It appears for a little time. Why did James use this reference? It's a vapor. Why a vapor? Because a vapor appears for a time, then it vanishes away. In other words, our lives can be viewed at in the invisible and the visible. The visible being the vapor I could see for a time, then it vanishes away the invisible. There's a visible part to our lives. There's an invisible part to our lives. And the time that we're living in is that short time called the brevity of life. But it ushers us into the invisible that we don't see, which is eternal, whether it's in glory or in eternal suffering. Your life is but a vapor. Like that, it's gone. And then, that's it. But the invisible is eternal, never ceasing to exist. And just like the rich man and Lazarus, one was in a place of comfort, and the other one was in a place of discomfort eternally. And that man in a place called Hades, suffering there, knew, even though he had five brothers on the earth, he didn't want them to go there and suffer, but there was nothing that could be done for him whatsoever once he left this realm. So James is saying, look, Time is short on the earth. And I listed this out before when I taught about end times. I just thought I'd repeat it here. Dr. Leslie Weatherhead put together, let's say, your lifespan, my lifespan, and he put it in a 24-hour period. So look at this. If you're 15 years old, it's 1045 a.m. in your life. If you're 20 years old, it's 1134 in the morning. If you're 25, it's 12.42 in the afternoon. If you're 30, it's 1.51. If you're 35, it's 3 o'clock. If you're 40, it's 4.08. If you're 45, it's 5.15. If you're 50, it's 6.25. If you're 55, it's 7.34. If you're 60, it's 8.42. If you're 70, it's 11 o'clock. And there's one hour left to your life. We left out 11.30 and all that because we just don't want to go there. But think about it. I'm 68, going to hit, I'm pushing 70, others are 70 and above. If you look at it that way, you've got an hour to live. And how quickly all the other time has gone by. So the brevity of life is so short that we're here upon this earth, but the eternal aspect of life 
is forever. Number two, what should we understand? How vulnerable we are. Look at 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. How vulnerable we are. Are we not all vulnerable? Human beings upon this planet. Does he not know our frame? Well, let's look at this. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We should humble ourselves to a degree. What should we learn from COVID-19? How vulnerable we are on this planet. And we should be so humble and not proud of anything. Not full of pride about anything. This virus is no respecter of persons. This virus has attacked entertainers, NBA stars, politicians, even Sean Payton, an NFL coach, was attacked. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your race is, what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter. It is a germ that can, one, be here in a moment and change the course of a nation or of the world or of a family of a church or individual life. How quickly life can change. So we're to understand how vulnerable we are. Thirdly, how quickly life can change. Look, whoever thought we'd be living in a time, I'd be preaching the puppets and pictures. That the church would be basically empty except for the people that are here to run the church. Who would ever think that? We would never have thought that before all these years. We're living in unprecedented times. Why? Because of a germ. Who would have thought that? And regardless of where it came from, if it's political, if it's biological, whatever it might be, we're affected by it. And we've all been affected by it. And let me just shout out right now to all of you. You realize that the recovery rate right now is 98 point some percent, almost 99%. Whoever contracts this thing recovers. Which is why it's insane for us to listen to radio broadcasts or television broadcasts, news media that just puts fear in people's lives. The impact of negative words is the next one. Look at Mark 4 and verse 24. Who would have thought that you'd be out of school other than Andrew? Who would have thought you'd be out of school for all these months? When Andrew used to just pound us and pound us, I don't want to be in that prison anymore. I don't want to be in that place anymore. What purpose is this? is really dumb. It's stu- I don't want to be in school. He, he got, he's made, he's, he was in, his name was in the paper for honors or high honors. Honors? He made honors and all that. But here he is crying out to God. I'm not saying that his prayer was answered with COVID-19. <laughs> But he hasn't been in school for all this time and he's graduating on Monday. So, hmm, who'd have thought? You, you might not even have a sports activity. Who'd have thought the NFL or, could be in jeopardy or NCAA football or the NBA didn't even, what about March Madness that never completed, never had the competition? Who would have thought that all these things that we hold up in high esteem and idolize in our society today fell victim to a germ. Vulnerable, crazy times, life can change quickly, but the impact of negative words. Look at Mark 4, verse 24. He said to them, take heed what you hear, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Jesus also, another place said, take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear it. You know, if you look at the News media, uh, when this first happened, it was almost as if 
If you contract COVID-19, you die. And that's the message that was sent out to us. But nothing could be further from the truth. The recovery rate is 98 point some percent who get it, recover from it. But look at what it's done. It's it absolutely changed the way we view life today. Next, our need for Jesus. Wow. Negative words, bad reporting causes fear to rise up in people's lives. But look at the words of Jesus. Let's listen to what Jesus said. We need Jesus more than ever. Look in John 14, verse 27. If you're dealing with fear, if you're battling fear in that sort of thing, let's remind ourselves of these things. God is bigger, God is greater than anything we face in this life. He's given us reasons not to be afraid, reasons not to fear. But if we listen to the wrong message and we hear things wrong, it'll impact our hearts with fear. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Notice, not as the world gives. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't allow it. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Don't allow it to be afraid. Why? Because I'm giving you my peace. Peace that you will not find in the world. So if we're looking for peace in the world, it's not going to happen. If we have peace because we kind of think that, they're, you know, they're going to come up with some kind of vaccine or whatever, that's not where our focus should be. We find peace in Jesus, not in the world. So if we want peace, our mind's got to be stayed on him. He'll keep you in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on him because you trust him, Isaiah 26 and verse 3. That's what he wants us to do, to trust him. Look at this next verse, John 16, 27, Amplified, AMPC, which is the classic version of the Amplified Bible. A tiny germ can impact a society. Look at this verse. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, so if you just listen to the world, what they're saying, you're going to have tribulation, trials, distress, and frustration. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I've deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Can you say amen? He's conquered it for us. It has no power to harm us. The victory that overcomes the world is our faith. Not what man can do, but what Christ has done. He has conquered COVID-19 for us. He's defeated it for us. He became the curse for us so that we could be free and use our faith to rise up above it. And let me just, in closing here, look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. Two verses here, three verses here that will really set the tone for what I'm talking about. This is not a sign of of the end times it may be a taste of what's going to happen because when you see this you'll see this is a taste of something that's really going to happen and here it is i will plead against him with pestilence notice contagions and with blood i will rain upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him and overflowing rain and great hailstones fire and brimstone then look at chapter 39 11 and 12 it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea, and it shall stop the noses or, uh, of those, and, and there they shall bury Gog and his multitude, and they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. And notice this, seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them that they may cleanse the land. Did you hear that? You talk about a plague. You talk about a contagion. 98% recovery. They're talking about 
bodies strewn throughout all of Israel that takes seven months for them to bury the physical bodies to cleanse the land. So when this occurs, you talk about a sign of the end times. This is talking about the tribulation period. That's when you have these signs occur on the earth. There'll be roars, rumors of wars, false Christ, etc., etc., contagions, earthquakes, and so on. People be crying out for the rocks to kill them, take their lives. Seven months burying their dead. Now that is a pestilence. That is something to be concerned about. So the last thing is, what does it make us aware of? Our need for salvation. Everyone's need for salvation. There's no way we spend our eternity with him in glory without being saved by faith, by grace through faith. We must accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And you know what? We've got to become more salvation conscious when it comes to people that are around us. We've got to be soul winners for Christ. Better witnesses for Christ in our lives. The way we live our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, our testimony of who we are in Christ and what we have in Him. Seeing ourselves as His masterpiece. His work of extraordinary skill. Did you hear that? You're His workmanship. We're his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. Did you get the word recreated? You were created, we fell, we were death doomed. But through the blood of Christ, we've been recreated in his image, in his likeness. We are his masterpiece right now. He took us and shaped us into his son, his image, his likeness. We bear that image. And as he is, so will we be. We'll see him as he is. So no matter who you are, who you are is who you are in Christ, not who you are in yourself, with your faults, your failures, your shortcomings, and inadequacies, and all that. That's not who you are. In Christ, you are a masterpiece. Praise God. A masterpiece. Now, if you're out there in the world, and maybe you're listening to this ministry, and you haven't made Christ the Lord of your life, you too can become a masterpiece by making Him your Savior and Lord. And if you are a child of God, Let's never forget our primary concern, and that is to get lost people saved and into the kingdom of God.